if we're relying more on devices to communicate, will children raised in this environment be more awkward when they're actually with people or not pick up on some visual nonverbal cues that they might have otherwise? You know, we still haven't seen or experienced a generation of children raised on tablets and smartphones. I mean, we've, we've seen videos. Of We're running that experiment in my household. I'm sure you Welcome to episode 47 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft-brewed pint or maybe a fine wine. You can watch us live Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern at pubtheology.com, or you might want to listen anytime on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. And you can also queue us up on the New Thought channel on your Roku or other streaming device. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. First up is Craft Beer Cellar, the official beer sponsor of Pub Theology Live and the home of premium craft brews. Their focus is amazing beer, education, and hospitality. Visit Craft Beer Cellar, C-E-L-L-A-R.com for a location near you. And I think they ship to some states as well if there's not a local uh, location. You can win free beer from Craft Beer Cellar by joining our conversation. You can comment anytime on Twitter or Facebook using the hashtag PTLive or uh, call in and leave a message on our voicemail line. That's 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830 for those of you without letters on your phone. And our newest sponsor, Wink Wine Club. Wink, spelled W-I-N-C, features superbly crafted wines delivered right to your door. Get started at trywink.com slash ptlive for $20 off your first order and other savings. Check them out. At what point do they stop being our new sponsor? Like, No, I'm just reading the script. They're the newest. Mm. It says the newest. That never changes. Until we get a newer sponsor. So then if we get another sponsor, will they become the newest and we Yeah. Or... They become the middle child. Exactly. But we won't forget them like parents oh, tend to and do. And our other sponsor next week will do that. So that was our that was our cleanest uh, promo read. I know, yet, and, then, guys. And, and then Ogan screwed it all up. Just keep going, I didn't screw up the read. <laughs> I had a question. I'm allowed to ask questions. <laughs> it was timely given our topic for tonight. <laughs> So tonight we talk communication and language. Does increasing social media usage impact social skills? If so, some of us might be in trouble. Are there limits to what language can convey? And if so, uh, what does that mean when we're talking or thinking about sacred scriptures? Are there ways to connect with God beyond language? And do you prefer to talk on the phone with somebody or just text them? All of that and maybe even more. My name is Brian Burkoff, and I am the pastor of Holland UCC in Holland, Michigan, and author of the book Pub Theology, Beer, Conversation, and God. And tonight I am drinking a Reverend Monk triple IPA. Nice. From Saugatuck Brewing, just down the road from me here in Michigan. And with us, as usual, is Ogan Holder and Tina Simmons. Uh, howdy, I am Reverend Ogan Holder, Minister of Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And tonight I am drinking one of my favorite beers whose name I still can't pronounce. Um, it is, I think, a German beer, Weihensteffner. It's, uh, it's a Bavarian style Hefeweizen. And um, I'm in the process of cleaning out as many beers as i can from my fridge so i don't have to like break any on the move in three days um but yeah it's an old standby favorite so you're gonna be sober for your move is what you're saying <laughs> i better be it will not be pretty with or not nice Hi, this is uh tina simmons um author of zandrail being a human is overrated 
And tonight I'm drinking a Mary Hill. Why can't I? What's wrong with me? Mary Hill Syrah. Back it up. Back it up. You're too close to the camera. No, I'm not. That's the label right there. Right there. <laughs> Brian's too close to the camera. <laughs> oh, easy. I'm, I'm drinking Mary Hill Syrah. That's it. All I'm right. done. There you go. Excellent. Excellent. So we're talking uh, language tonight. And I said with us tonight, as usual, is Ogan and Tina. But I think it should be with us tonight are Ogan and Tina. That is correct. That, that would be is... grammatically correct. But, mm. you know, in, in correct grammar and spelling seems to be the way of things these days, especially from our government leader. We said we were not talking politics during the hour. Oh, I'm just saying. Man. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking spelling and grammar. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He meant he misspelled tap mm. in one of his tweets. Mm. He's talking about tapping the wires. He went T A P P. And I'll just, you know, not to steal a line from um, John Oliver's last week tonight, but remember when we all freaked out when Dan Quayle misspelled potato? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are more letters to get wrong. Oh, man, that's awesome. All right, so our opener tonight is, do you prefer to talk on the phone with someone or do you prefer just to text them? Are you a talker or a texter? I text them to let them know I'll be calling. <laughs> Splits the difference. What about you, Tina? I think that's pretty common in today's society too. Like you text first and then if it becomes you know lengthy, you call or like I'll, I'll text my sister and be like, can you talk now? Um, but I, I'm probably definitely a texter for the fact that it's, it's a, you know, it's brief. It's a quick, Hey, how you doing? And you can do other things in between your chatting. Um, I will say, I do also think that it causes problems though, because then we're paying attention to our phone instead of what we're doing in the moment. Um, and when it comes to talking on the phone, I would actually rather FaceTime. And the reason for that is I live in Washington and most of my family lives in Pennsylvania. So I love FaceTiming with my sisters and my nieces because like, especially my nieces, because they're little, they get so excited to show me artwork that they've done or books that they've read, you know, like they, it's like a show and tell, you know, being face to face like that. And when my mom had cancer, um, I, I used to love FaceTiming with her too. Like it just gives you more of a personal connection. So. I think speaking is on the phone, especially is becoming a lost art. And, and I think part of that is, is because we, you know, texting was kind of a abbreviating or language, you know, and, and Twitter didn't help either. And, um, and I think we, we, we don't want to talk anymore. That takes too much time. And I think part of it is, I think as society become bad at listening. So it's all about, let me just get my message across. Furthermore, take the time to really listen to what the other person is saying. Um, but I agree with Tina because I was listening that um, now that technology allows video conversations, video conferencing, cross great distances to be much easier, you know, whether it's FaceTime or Skype or, you know, Google Hangouts, which we're using now. Um, I, I think it adds a whole other element of returning to live conversation in a way, but still no eye contact because, you know, you're looking at the camera and the camera's not where the person's face is. So there's, there's a piece of that uh, missing from live conversation. That's yeah. my two cents worth. What about you, Brian? Well, you know, I've never been much of a phone talker, even uh, when that was the only option and there was no texting. In fact, as a as an introvert, I even had a bit of a phobia about talking on the phone. There was no texting. How old are you? I'm just messing. I'm just <laughs> so I definitely prefer texting because I if I... I just don't have long conversations on the phone generally. I just don't like to do that. So I usually use the phone if I were to call someone just for like information exchange, like can you do X, Y, or Z, or can you meet me at whatever, or can you pick up this from the store? And I don't need to talk to the person to just convey the information via a text. 
So yeah, I know, but but here's first of all, I think if your text exchanges start going past five and six exchanges, it's time. <laughs> yes, well, that's true. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, and. And I agree with you, but at the same time, sometimes there's a piece of connection missing because sometimes when we talk to a person to just convey information, it turns into a conversation that we didn't think was going to happen. And I it's think true. that deepens the connection. So, you know, while I, I text and we Facebook message each other and all that kind of stuff, I still think there's something to the live conversation. I think that's part of why we enjoy this show because we are in conversation with each other, you know, for over an hour. And when's the last time anybody sits down with anybody and talks for, you know, an hour or more? I yeah, do. If... I do all the time. All right, don't show off. Ogan, you and I have talked for like an hour and a half on the phone before. Don't don't act like you don't do it. I, I know, <laughs> but, but we don't, not we, but it does. I don't think it happens on a regular basis with a lot of people anymore. Okay. Yes, we can all have our occasional hour conversations i mean i had an hour conversation today with someone i had an hour conversation last night with someone but that's not a regular occurrence for me it'd be interesting to try an episode where we just texted each other for the whole hour <laughs> that would be so funny do you guys ever text somebody that's in like the same room in the same house yes <laughs> no i, I just... don't think it's a bad thing i would i would text my son in the morning and be like are you up rather than banging on his door Yelling, you know what I mean? Yelling across the hall. Oh, that's, I the just, fun, that's the fun part. Ugh, I do not. Yes. Oh, see, we were at a uh, we were at an event the other night, and uh, I was ready to text my wife and say, "Is it? Can we go now?" And I didn't want to be rude and ask it in front of people. Yeah, it's good for that too. <laughs> see what I mean? Yeah. yeah, but isn't it just as rude if you text her and she has to pull out her phone in the middle of conversation to look at it? Come on, no. Ogan. You know everybody's got their phone out already. Because then she could say, "Oh, something came up. We we have to go." <laughs> Flick, I like it. Yeah, see that? <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so you both noted that uh, you prefer, if you can, to have the voice conversation and maybe even better to have the face-to-face -face in terms of technology using FaceTime or uh, Google Hangout or the like. Um, and when we do talk face-to-face, -face, social information, of course, is conveyed by cues in our voice, but also visual cues, uh, that kind of thing. And so the question is, does increasing social media usage impact social skills? And will our nonverbal communication abilities decrease in this age of social media, email, texting, etc.? cetera? Um, yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> all, all, all yeses. We've become we've become lazy speakers and lazy writers because and I say I'm I'm painting with a broad brush. I don't think anyone in this conversation is. I mean, for God's sake, we all we all wrote published books. So, you know, there's that. But but I think with you know, when you like look at articles that are, you know, printed on websites uh, or published on websites rather they got to be short because they know they're going to lose readers' attention spans. We've become, you know, Twitter, social media has re has really shortened our attention span. And if something's too long, we don't want to read it. And I think that's really contributed to the dumbing down of America. Um, you know, there are people who will intentionally, yes, seek more knowledge and read deeper. But I don't think the average person maybe does because... It's just too long and takes too much time. Okay. I, I, have, I, I have to say, though, I kind of disagree with you. Um, I don't think it's dumbing down our society. I think we just have more, um, more, what do you call it, um, access I, I rest to my case more right people. Here. I rest my case. Couldn't even come up with the word. That, that's <laughs> funny. You know, okay. <laughs> Which brings me to our next point is I think the people that are are good at writing and, and articulating their thoughts are still going to be, and the people that are not are still not going to be. If anything, I think um, social media has given people that are not comfortable speaking on a regular basis or talking to other people a, a platform to be able to do that. Um, it's a double-edged double uh, sword because it's given everybody a platform. Okay. Not yeah, everybody yeah, needs a platform. Oh, I agree with you there. Okay. But, 
The, the other thing is I, I kind of agree with the cut to the chase thing. Like I don't want to read 90 pages of fluff for one paragraph that you could have summed it up in. But some important things can't be conveyed in one paragraph. It takes, uh, it takes a I lot agree. to develop a story, a point, and get the accurate information across. I agree, but I think a lot of times there's tons of fluff added. Go ahead, Brian. So you're both hinting at uh, perhaps our broader language skills or our attention span or, or uh, our ability to read or write. Um, but what about social skills or our ability to communicate non-verbally? How do you think that might be impacted? Um, if we're relying more on devices to communicate, will, it, will children raised in this environment be more awkward when they're actually with people or not pick up on some visual nonverbal cues that they might have otherwise? I think the research is still out on that because like you said, even with texting, um, it's, it's a fairly recent technique, you know, technology. We're talking like 20 years, maybe if that much. And yeah, not even, uh, you know, we still haven't seen or experienced a generation of children raised on tablets and smartphones. I mean, we've, we've seen videos. Of we were running that experiment in my household. I'm sure you <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen videos of kids, you know, given a coloring book with like paper and they're, they're tapping it, trying to figure out why things aren't moving. Oh, yeah. Oh they're trying God. to swipe it, you know? So, so it's, so we don't, we don't, I don't know who knows how that will turn out, but I know what it has provided is um, the ability for people to, to troll each other and to go out and you know express hatred and dissent and hide behind the anonymity this is what i'm talking about people who don't need platforms and mm -hmm. it allows them to be that way when they would not have been that way necessarily in some oh. space and now i think it's because of that now we're getting to that point where those people in that kind of like almost closet hatred place are now feeling emboldened to come out and do it. We've seen the rise of, you know, in the last uh, months and year rise of, of hate crimes towards, you know, um, Muslims, Hispanics, you know, minorities. And, and, I, okay. and I think part of it is because there's been that allowance of expression of, dislike and discrimination i okay but ogan it was nobody the people that felt that way are being more vocal about it being open about it you're right they're hiding behind keyboards but they already had those feelings it's not like you know like we had that undercurrent in our society it's just bubbling to the surface but it needs to bubble to the surface it's horrible to see it it's even worse to fester underneath your skin I don't mind. I don't. I don't necessarily care what feelings a person has. You don't. You don't like somebody else. You don't like somebody else. I can't tell you what to feel, but but it's not helping to express that out loud, especially then when it encourages others as well. And now we're suddenly fostering a a, a culture where it's okay to, you know yell at people go back to your country when hello they're born here yeah but do you think, think i mean a lot of that before we were allowed to you know just put whatever we want in social media but that's just yeah me. but don't you think a lot of that at least recently is due to our uh elected leadership and people are feeling bolder to uh articulate uh racist and xenophobic messages because our leadership i think uh, models that well, uh, yes, that's piece of it, but this started before that. I mean, this started sure. With, sure. with, you know, Obama's election. Uh, this started. It didn't yes. start with Obama's election. It, it, it's been, I'm, it's been here. No, it, no, it, I, I'm it, not saying it. Uh, what I'm saying is started is the true public expression. There's never, there's, as far as I can tell, and I could be wrong, there's not been just this overt public expression of discrimination and dislike since the civil rights. I think there has been, Ogan. It just hasn't been widely spread. It hasn't, we haven't had the vehicle that we're seeing it so much. That's uh, but, 
point that, that I'm might, making. You're probably, yeah, you're probably agreeing with each yeah, other, right? What I'm making is the vehicle, social media, stuff like that is exacerbating the problem. But it was still there. I know. And people were still being hurt by it. Anytime you have hate underneath, and you say you don't care what somebody else thinks, but if they have that hate and it's building and it's building, it's coming out in some form or another. Okay. Agreed. Here's where I call a timeout. We all take a drink of our beverage. <laughs> this is verbal and nonverbal. Ver so can I just drink my water? <laughs> Wait, you're drinking water? What happened? Was that bottle? I, I always have water and wine both. Ooh, and sometimes one noticed? turns into the other. All right. <laughs> I have that skill. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So um, Karen Armstrong in her book, The Bible, A Bibliography, has said, language has an inherent inadequacy. There's always something left unsaid, something that remains inexpressible. So first of all, wondering, do you agree with that, that language has an inherent inadequacy and that some things are simply unexpressible in words? So that's the first question. Second is, if that's so, what are the ramifications for understanding scripture or hearing from God, who in many religious traditions communicates in verbal form through these written texts? I agree with the statement. But yeah. Okay. Like, like language language always breaks down at some point or there's always um, things that can't be feelings, thoughts that can't really be fully expressed through words, especially um, English is particularly guilty at this. You know, uh, not too long ago, I gave a I gave a talk about about love and I talked about how the Greeks, the Greeks had like eight or 10 different words for love and types of love. And, you know, in English, we have the word love, which gets really overused, misinterpreted, you know, so, so language has doesn't quite adequately convey, I think, a lot. And when it comes to God, especially, like, mm. I mean, language is just a metaphor. When we speak about God, anything we say about God is a metaphor. Metaphors ultimately break down. And I think the, the understanding of relationship to and with God goes beyond words. Mm, yeah, I think it was uh, Chandra Dasa who said that metaphors have a front door which gets you in and brings you to a place of understanding, but they also have a back door where they sort of break down. Yeah, I, I also think part of that is um, language is interpretation as well. Like, you know, Ogan, you can say something and Brian and I both filter it differently in our minds and form different opinions on it, um, which is exactly what happens in religious texts. I mean, look at how many different interpretations there are and different religions there are, are based off of the same document. Son of a... Yes. Uh, so that's another issue with language that uh, we need to filter it and interpret it and that we all bring... Uh, different lenses and different uh, experiences to same um, the same texts or to similar texts. And so you're right. We might, depending on where we're coming from, our cultural background, our socioeconomic level, uh, a whole host of things might read a certain verse one way and somebody in a different culture or in a different era and we've seen this through the history of the church, especially when we have texts that have stuck around for a long time. They're understood differently at different ages, given what's happening at the time. So that's that's an interesting, an interesting dynamic uh, certainly at play here. It creates a problem because you never then have a definitive meaning. You don't have a definitive understanding, and and we like certainty. Hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, that's hard to come by. A, when we're using language, which has all of its, you know, differing ways to be understood, but also, as you said, Ogan, when we're talking about God, let's say we could put ourselves in the place of the original readers of the Torah, let's say. We're the first ones to have the five books of Moses in the Old Testament. Back when it was a cult? I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. Well, you come off a mountain with two tablets of stone. I mean, that, that's how you kick off a, a real... Or according to Mel Brooks, it was three and he dropped one. <laughs> <I> <laughs> exactly. <love> that. <laughs> that was the best one. 
man, that, that's the one that had all the jokes. Yeah. But okay, so let's say we're put ourselves in that position. So we're ancient Israelites, right? And Hebrew or Proto-Hebrew is our native tongue. And God is communicating us to us that way. Are there shortcomings even then in that optimal setting? I'm curious why you call it optimal. <laughs> well, because it's direct. I see. I because, see. because it's your own language, your own culture, and your own time. Whereas we have these documents not in our language, not in our culture, not in our time. So I'm trying to remove those barriers as best as possible. So you're saying God spoke in Hebrew? I'm saying those original texts, which many believe to be God speaking, uh, and as a person of faith, I find uh, resonance with that as well, that the people wrote it in Hebrew. Who knows what language God was speaking, but if they heard it and that was the <laughs> language that they knew, I got to believe it was somehow understandable in the language they knew. Did they really hear it, or they just imagined that's what God might be saying? Can you just play along with, with Brian? <laughs> question, but you're still evading my question. <laughs> so, so my issue with that is I can't answer that question because there's no way I can put myself in the frame of mind of and the frame of consciousness for that time era. So... You know, if I want to play along, I could say, sure, they think they heard it and it was a direct thing and boom, they wrote it down or whatever. But, yeah, but, but, but it's a whole, it's a, it's a different state of human consciousness at that point in time. So, so, so at that, at that time, there was a much different understanding of the universe and how the world worked and how other people related to each other. So, I, I I don't I don't know. I can only imagine from the frame of consciousness that I am in. I you know, I'm actually gonna agree with Ogan on this one because um I think Whoa. the people Whoa. partly partly because I, I think um to the people of that time that it was completely in context with what they were doing at that time, what how they were living at that time. So it made sense more sense to them. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like in their culture, it you know, it wasn't it was in their best benefit to do whatever the Bible said, because that's that was the best for living at that time. I I think we're living in a different time, and I think as you know, technology has come and and things have changed, and and we're not living on dirt floors with animals in our houses. We would have a completely different set of rules. So we're trying to interpret this text that was made for people that were living in a very simplistic time. And they were, you know, kind of rules to keep people safe, to keep them healthy. And now we don't really need that. We don't have a lot of, we don't need a lot of those rules, but we're trying to make sense of them and make them fit into our lives. So there's tons of interpretation because of it. And to keep their bloodlines pure and to yeah. keep themselves reproducing. Hence, a lot of rules about not being with other, uh, you know, mixing and marrying other cultures and not uh, not having homosexual relationships because all of that was about, like, how, how are we going to reproduce? How are we going to keep ourselves going if men are lying with men? That, that That's not, and women with women, that's not going to result in babies. And we need babies because people are coming and wiping us out and occupying us. And we need babies. So, you know, there's that. And you could also say uh, the texts helped uh, support the religious leadership and their the view they wanted uh, the people to hold. Uh, I'm not unwilling to say that uh, those who produced the texts didn't have some influence on it that may or may not have been entirely inspired. You think Ob obedient people are easier to control? You think there might have been some personal personal agenda at play? You think? <laughs> you know, I mean, I try not to be <laughs> cynical on these things, but. I know it's There's amazing a that you're the one who said that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, look out. Taking a page from my book. <laughs> look, out, look out. So, I, sorry, go ahead. Well, so given all of the things we've said, uh, that language can sort of—I mean, it can do a ton. Language is amazing, and the fact that we have these texts surviving so long across culture and time, and yet we're still able to sort of glean things from them—that's amazing and does speak to the power of language. Yet, as 
you've noted perhaps there are some limits to language uh, in expressing some things, particularly divine things. So is there what is there for us yet in these scripture texts, given all the barriers of time, culture, distance, different language? Well, I, I think there's a wisdom to it that pr proceed, proceeds that... <laughs> that can go through the ages. I don't know what I want to say. Um, there's a wisdom to it that can go through the ages. And I think when you boil down all of the ancient texts, they all come down to the same wisdom. You know, they all kind of boil down to, you know, love God, love your neighbor, um, you know, take care of your community, respect each other. I think if you take away all the fluff, you know, it, it you know, there's, there's a wisdom there. I mean, there's a wisdom to mythology too. It's just. Right. I believe the phrase you're struggling to pull up is perennial wisdom. Sure. <laughs> She's like, whatever. <laughs> but yeah. You weren't even paying attention because you were texting. Don't give me that. <laughs> I was A, not texting, and B, I was paying attention. Otherwise, I would not have tried to use that phrase for what you were trying to describe. But yes, you're right. There's a common, there's a common thread that runs through all the scriptures of all religions and it does speak to it does speak to serving humanity in good ways and and following divine edicts brian just note he didn't say it but he just agreed with me go ahead mm, Carry I, I, on. I noted it okay i i agree i'm saying i agree with you we're just trying to we talk about language of trying to find one word to sum up that rambling thing that you just did perennial wisdom that's all i'm saying <laughs> Gonna let that go. Yes. Yep. Very good. <laughs> I'll get him back. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, I love. I love so, what. I love. I love. Uh, there's a thing from the Tao that I love, which you know is fascinating. Considering I'm a minister and get up every Sunday morning to talk about God and the Bible and all this stuff, and the Tao says those who speak of the Tao don't know the Tao, and those who know mm. the Tao don't can't speak of it. Mm. So gonna yeah that gets to, that gets to that inexpressibleness uh, and that that ultimate mystery and I, I like that um so you both said that there's something we can distill out of these ancient texts that there's wisdom uh if we kind of go to the core uh and yet we see um a lot of disagreement when it comes to usage of these texts and we also see these texts used in some negative ways when people use them to say, well, we need to keep out people who are different than us or um, people who are of a different orientation or a different religion. Um, so I think there is a, sort of a, a heart of what I would call divine wisdom and compassion and love in these texts. But sometimes you got to wade through a lot of other stuff to get to that, right? And, and mm -hmm. Tina hard. Said, you got to remember the context. And I think so many times we forget the context of when this was written, who wrote it, for who the audience was, and maybe what the message was for them at that time. Con context di dictates everything. And, and, and we're not in a world where we have to try to preserve a bloodline. We don't, we're not in a world where we have to preserve an, an ethnicity to the point where we shouldn't be marrying people outside of our of our own ethnicity like that that doesn't make sense anymore but right but what, what brian was saying i don't think that the people who are using it in a negative way are trying to preserve bloodlines or do certain i think they're just trying to control the people around them i think they're using it to their own benefit mm. um to you know it's it's more of a controlling other people thing it's more of a um no Here. their intentions are not to I, I and this is my personal opinion i don't think they have loving intentions i think their intentions are you know fear and control i don't know i i don't i don't believe it's well, i believe that's part of it and i do believe that so so there are some really you know and i have them in my own family there are some really good-hearted christians out there who will tell you homosexuality is a sin against god I don't believe they are people who are trying to instill fear and control. I think there are people who read that passage in the Bible that condemns men sleeping with men and women sleeping with women and says the Bible says it, so therefore... But isn't, isn't the fear of the wrath of God? But my point I'm trying to make is that because they're not aware of the context of the time 
and maybe the true intention behind it, which was about, like I said earlier, we got to reproduce so that our race doesn't get, or, or ethnicity, sorry, is a better phrase to use, doesn't get run amok because we got people who are coming in and taking us out in exile and all that. So, so it made sense then. It doesn't make sense now. So I don't think it's so much about them being afraid of the wrath of God as it is if we say we are Christians and we believe what the Bible says, we have to follow the Bible. And I think some people do it out of fear, but I know some people who don't do it out of the fear of God. They do it out of the love of God, and this they believe this is how they need to express right. their love for God. So it's not all fear-driven. To me, that's loving a controlling God, though. If if well, God I, didn't is... what, I didn't say what kind of God it was. I'm just <laughs> but it's still control. And okay, Brian, what would you like to say? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would agree with you both that that those folks will will articulate that they're doing it out of love and out of their love for God and their desire to be faithful to God. But I would agree that there's often a deeper fear that is driving such a view on how we should treat each other or even how God fear that if they don't act how God wants, then God is going to do something bad. And that's, I think a poor view of the divine, but. So here's, here's a, here's a, a fairly recent example, Tina. Um, and I, and I, and I just love to quote this one be, because it, I mean, it affects me personally. I mean, you guys know I was married to Jennifer for, for all those years that I was, she's white. So it was an interracial marriage and, interracial marriage was declared legal in this country by the Supreme Court in like the 70s, like shortly before I was born. I think it was like 72 or something like that. Okay. And it was legal in some states, illegal in others. And the case, and they just made the movie about it, but yes, uh, I didn't know about this. Loving versus whatever, Virginia. So this couple, this interracial couple, black woman, white man in Virginia, they fell in love. They want to get married. It was illegal in Virginia. They drove up to D.C. where it was legal, got married, came back home, found out, and they were arrested. Yeah. Taken to court. It went all the way to Supreme Court. Supreme Court decided, you know what? Interracial marriage, it's a good thing. We're going to make it happen across the country. The dissent that was written, or the opposing view, because, you know, when the Supreme Court makes a decision, some one of the judges writes a dissent. When the judge wrote the dissent against the case for interracial marriage, he quoted the Bible. And he said, "In the Bible is written that race yes. mix. Oh, this is yikes. this is in the seventies. This is like a lifetime. Okay, so so the fact that someone can take that, a Supreme Court judge can want to use that as a case to say, in this day and age, people of different ethnicities shouldn't get married is totally missing the point of why it was written when it was written." Right, right. Okay, so, but you don't think his decision was based on control or fear? Like, that, you didn't disprove what I'm saying. I don't know. No, uh, it's 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 not necessarily, well, maybe control, but not necessarily fear either. Maybe he genuinely believes, or anyone who wants to interpret that literally for this day and age, again, they might just genuinely believe that this is the way it should be. It doesn't mean they're necessarily trying to control or being fair. I believe a lot of things that other people don't agree with. I'm not trying to control them yeah. or afraid of them. You get what I'm saying? You are if you're trying to force them to be like you. Well, but uh, I can see both sides. I can see both sides. But here's the question I have. Mm-hmm. When you see uh, an, a law change like that or a Supreme Court decision like that, that goes counter to uh, a view that's held in certain religious texts or traditions, do you see that as God speaking in new ways or people hearing divine wisdom, even if they don't use that language uh, and it being expressed and we just took a while to hear it? Or is that just humans coming with wisdom that is actually does better than our religious traditions? I don't think it's any less divine than the people who wrote the Bible. And I believe, I, I agree with that and it's us. It's it's us seeking to know ourselves. It's us seeking to to make sense of ourselves. It's us evolving in our in our consciousness, yeah. and you know, and it goes and it goes both ways. Uh, it goes both ways. And what explain? Just, so like Sorry. so like I mean, there they'll they'll be rulings that 
come out that seem to set us back a little bit. You know, like a couple years ago when, when they gutted part of the Voting Rights Act. I'm like, like, really? Are we truly believing that like racism is done and we don't need to keep an eye on on like deep southern states? And and the Supreme Court felt, yeah, no, we're good. We don't have to do that. And like the same day, you know, Texas is changing laws to 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 enact voter restrictions in certain places. So again, you know, I I believe we evolve in fits and starts. Five steps forward, two steps back. Six steps forward, four steps back. Fits and starts, fits and starts. And eventually we get to a place where we realize, regardless of what any individual group may believe, when we make changes that kind of include and empower everyone, regardless of what label they append to themselves or we append to them, we do better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so I hear you saying, uh, on the one hand, that's humans evolving. And on the other, maybe uh, there's divine wisdom that's penetrating us in a way that it hasn't before. Is that fair? Yeah. To, to know ourselves more is to know God more. So partly God, partly, as you said, this is us. Well, <laughs> oh, don't start. Oh, it's on tonight. Thanks for the reminder. Um, yeah. you know, but not, I'm to, gonna, not to distract any live viewers because it is on right now. <laughs> And not for me. I got two more hours. Um, but <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to something I know we've discussed before. Is that um, and I'm pretty sure Ogan's the one who brought it up. As we evolve, God evolves. Like our idea, because God is just whatever we can understand in our minds. So as we evolve, we open up that we can understand more of God. So God's gonna evolve with us, which is why documents need to evolve with us as well. I would say our understanding yeah, of God evolves. I don't think God's evolving. No, God doesn't evolve. But you know what? Yes, our understanding of God. Thank you for the clarification and communication. You're welcome. Okay. I just didn't want to get the emails. I just didn't well, want to. hey, I, listen, we may well have uh, open theists or process theologians listening who would say, in fact, that God does evolve. Yeah. Maybe they're tweeting us right now. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so, so a question then is, are there ways to hear or connect with God beyond language? Yes. And, and is the Holy Spirit good at nonverbal communication? And if so, in what ways? Let, I don't know about the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> Cause I never, I never, I never understood that whole. You non-Trinitarian you, but go ahead. Trinity thing. I was just a mess. There's a, by the way, there's a great video. Uh, if you guys watch Mr. Deity, <laughs> look up Mr. Deity on YouTube. There's a great video when him and Jesus try to right try to understand yes. the Trinity. It, it is so awesome, funny. What's it called, Mr. Deity? Mr. Oh Deity. Oh my gosh, you need um, to watch that tonight. You gotta watch Mr. Deity. The clips are hilarious. Um, but. If there ways to connect with God beyond language, yes, yeah, silence. Mm -hmm. um, I agree with Ogan, silence. Um, but I also think there are other ways. I think we see signs around us constantly. Um, and when we get out of our head, um, there are synchronicities in our lives that happen constantly. Um, and, you know, without saying too much, in the past two years, I've had a lot of turmoil in my life. And there have been a lot of times where I had no idea where I was going and things would just happen that kind of led me. Um, and I have no doubt that there, you know, it, there was no language involved other than that, you know, that connection we have to spirit that kind of leads us when, you know, when we stop trying to forge our own path. Well said. And I would add also movement, like yoga, stuff like that, Tai Chi. Like some of the most transcendent experiences I've had recently, including including what I am convinced are a real experience of connecting with Jennifer's hmm. spirit happened while doing yoga. And but and again, that was that was movement and a combination of movement and silence of really turning turning in and getting the mind out of the way. Um, so yeah. My mom yeah. thought yoga was of the devil, so I'm pretty sure I'm not going to connect to her through doing <laughs> yoga. <laughs> mm. Or yeah, wouldn't it be ironic? That's the real thing. 
Well, you know, I hear you, I hear you saying two things, uh, the both of you. On the one hand, there are practices in which we can sort of tune ourselves to hear or connect with the divine, such as silence, yoga, meditation, tai chi. And then when, the, when we do those things, they create in us an awareness, as Tina said, to notice things that are happening and see connections or see instances as, hey, I'm supposed to learn something here or, hey, something is happening at a deeper level. And if I pay attention, I'll, I'll hear it or I'll see it. Exactly. Or sense it, would... it or feel it or yeah. intuit it. It's not, I, mean, I know, and I think when you use the word hear, I think you're using that again, here we are with the language and thing. Are we talking about an audible reception or are you really using the word here as an idea of really um, getting a communication in all its various forms? An intuiting, I right. would say. Yeah, I, I think it's beyond our five senses that you know we understand yet. Right. Well, Brian, do you believe that too? Like, what do you believe about listening to God, hearing God? Yeah, I would. I would agree with with uh, both of you on those things. Uh, I, I think, I, man, man up. No, I, th I don't think you were saying just. <laughs> we I don't think you were saying opposing things. things. I know. I, I like to give him a hard time sometimes. He just always says, you know, yeah, I'm with you guys both. Um, no, on. I mean, I, I practice uh, silence and I I do walking prayer, um, you know, uh, different kinds of meditation. And I think those things allow me to sense the divine presence and to... Um, so I think presence is a good word. I don't know that I'm hearing things audibly, but there's just a sense that sort of like when you're silent with someone else in a room and there's just this sense of presence, even if nothing is being said. And it's sort of like that when I'm in intentional silence. Uh, yeah, there's just this sense of, of deep presence and that's, that's powerful. And, and to kind of bring us full circle a little bit, and I really want to talk about this Abraham question a little bit, but to bring us to bring us back kind of to that original thing you talking about the social media and the texting and all of that, I think because of of just the constant barrage of all of that, we have as a society at large, I think, become more uncomfortable with the silence. Mm. Always want something going, always input, you know, on our phones. And and I mean, I'm guilty of it too, because I mean, like, what social media platform am I not on? You know, but, right. but always want that that input, that flow, and we be we, yeah sitting in sitting in the room with another person, just being silent. Like that, the thought of that is probably very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yes, no doubt, and uh, and those are some of the most intimate moments you can experience with a person, just sitting with them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Mark on Facebook says, I have had experiences when I've had nonverbal communication. So he specifies nonverbal while meditating and in prayer. Sometimes when I'm in my church early or late and there's no one else there, I can feel the divine presence. I love it. Awesome. So thank you for that, Mark. And I, I hear you. I hear you. So Speaking of scripture and words and language and what does it say and what do we hear? We have a little story from the first book of the Torah or the Pentateuch or the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament. Pick what you want to call it. But it's the book of Genesis 18 where Abraham has three visitors. And I'll read it briefly. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. So the fun part of this story for me, because you gotta read, you gotta read all the way down to verse fifteen. I'm not gonna read it now, but but this is also where, um, from verses like nine through fifteen, was when basically God is saying that Sarah, even in her old age, will 
conceive and mm. have a baby. This is when this pronouncement happens, right? right. Now, in, in so many mythologies, it's a common occurrence of, of basically divine intervention for um, some heroic savior type figure to be born. You know, had it with Jesus, we had it with Hercules. I don't know what myth doesn't include this kind of deal. So I'm going to read this story. First of all, I'm like, th this is a story about welcoming and being hospitable to strangers. Um, you know, he goes out and uh, if you read the next few verses after that, he tells uh, Sarah, um, get the choice flour, make some cakes, get a calf that's tender and, and they prepare the calf and, you know, they basically right. feast and take it under the tree and host the visitors. And at the same time, it's like God came down with his entourage and said, yes, I'll take the food you offer me, and then later I'll come back and get your wife pregnant, which is a little hinky to me, if you ask. It's, Whoa. That's how I read this, because when you look at the second part, it, even Sarah's like, she's laughing. I'm old. My husband is old. This ain't going to happen. And he's saying, what does she think is funny? I'm here to make this happen. It's a little weird, is all I'm saying. So what makes you say God and his entourage came down? He's got two people. He's got, there's three of them. One of them is clearly yeah. the Lord. And then you got the two other angels, which if you read. Is further, it clear that one is the Lord? It says the Lord appeared to Abraham. Oh, son of a, you're right. And it's worth <laughs> noting uh, for those who are only listening and not reading this in the text. Um, that the Lord there in English is often all capitalized to acknowledge that in the Hebrew, this is the tetragrammatron or yod heh vav -Heh or Yahweh. It's the Hebrew name for God. So this is not just, you know, that was going to be my other sense. That was going to be my thing. Like maybe it was just a really high power of the time and not actually the Lord embodied in flesh. No, it was God. And then, and then, and then those two that was with him, with God, if you read the rest of the chapter, those are the two that went on to Sodom. And if you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, those are the two who had that whole thing with the city. And, you know, and again, that story burn, so used. And burn it down. Yes. Yeah, so, I think they were just a bunch of vigilantes. I'm just saying. <laughs> could be. I'm just saying the story was often is often misused as an indictment against homosexuality. That whole Sodom and Gomorrah story. Really sure, sure. Um, it's all, but I, you know, I've seen it also used as um, an early appearance by Jesus in the Bible. Uh, some will say this was a sort of pre-incarnate Christ. How do you respond to that story? Or God, that Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe that, or that when it says Lord, it's just Jesus and two angels. I, I, I although think the. Trinitarian view is possible. I think people keep trying to put Jesus where he wasn't. Maybe it was Jesus and two disciples, and they had a time machine, and we just didn't know it. Oh, my word. There it is. We're going there. There it is. <laughs> but let's get back to your creepy Sarah thing. That's, yeah, that's disturbing when you put it that way, Logan. <laughs> well, I'm disturbed by it. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just saying. It's, it, it. I, it it took obviously it took divine intervention for her to conceive because they were old. Or maybe it didn't. It just took some local guy that was and glad they were hospitable and saying, I don't know <laughs> how, far, how far the divine intervention went. Cause he says he said he said yeah. it twice. I will sure this is like verse ten twice. I will surely return to you in due season. And your wife Sarah shall have a son. And then after Sarah thought that was just ridiculous because I'm like old and yeah. fair. And she he's laughs. Like, he's like, why did she laugh? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, at the set time, I will return to you and she will have a son. Oh. I'm like, he's a little pushy with that the pregnant thing after leave the, the tent. come back. <laughs> yeah, leave the tent flat open. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little hinky, is all I'm saying. <laughs> It's a little. Oh, oh man. It was a soap opera. 
<laughs> the whole Bible is a soap opera. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I know. I'm just floored by this interpretation. Right? Don't, don't, don't give me Bible to read, man. I will find the stuff between the lines. <laughs> I, I think this speaks to the, the power of myth. This speaks to the power of myth. So if we remove the if we remove the divine mystical elements of it, Abraham and Sarah were old. How old is old back then? Like you know, you hit thirty, you're like past middle age. You know, you'd be lucky if you saw forty. People didn't live very long, despite all the seven, eight hundred years that they talk about in the Bible. People didn't live very long, so for all we knew, they were really only in their fifties, and you know. Or and back in those times, it's possible, like, a lot of the men were older than the women. It's possible he was in his 60s and she was in her 40s, and that's still very possible. Right. To have a or child. Like, or, like, you know, as we or he was barren and she was fine for a neighbor. Or as, <laughs> or as we see in modern day times, you know, I know of couples who, you know, are trying to have kids, and they're trying and trying, and it's not happening. And they give up on it, and then they decide we're going to go adopt, and they relax about the whole trying to have a baby thing. And the next thing you know, they have a baby. You hear about it all the time. All the time, because who knows how the physiology works. So take away this whole, you know, intervention of the God and the entourage. You know, maybe it was a case where Abraham and Sarah, because, again, he's been told he's going to be the father of many nations. We're trying so hard to have a baby. Then when they finally realize, all right, this ain't happening, let's just like, you know, we must have misheard the divine edict. Then boom, there she goes. And again, after when did they have Isaac? After he got the maid pregnant. Talk about soap opera. Right. <clears throat> so they were like, all right, we can relax about this because you got somebody else pregnant. And boom, there she is. So I don't know. It's a very suspect. Yeah, I, I like to read it the more uh, simple approach of... <laughs> This being an example of not so uh, much agreeing with me now, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to distance myself. I am distancing myself. <laughs> I like the meeting where we see it as uh, this example of of great hospitality, and that when we are hospitable to strangers, it may be a divine encounter. I completely agree with that, Brian. And it doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter if it's the Lord coming to your to your door or a homeless person, a, a person that's experiencing homelessness. If you treat everybody as if they are a gift from God, you will be blessed. They're both God. What? No, I'm serious. Both what? The God and the homeless person. They're both God. The person experiencing homelessness. Yeah. God too. That's God too. Well, yeah. I mean, Jesus says, "Whatever you do to the to the least of these, you're doing it to me." And but I agree with you. It shouldn't. You shouldn't just bring out a peanut butter and jelly because it's somebody that's not of high stature. Um, you, they should get your finest, no matter who comes to your door. I yeah. love it. But just be careful how they are around your wife, because because <laughs> she might end up pregnant. <laughs> Your words, not mine. Brian's gonna Brian's gonna edit everything you say Brian, out of this. Brian is like, we're never talking Bible again. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking it's kind of fun to have some some scripture <laughs> stories to uh, bat around. I think we need to bring this back, but I'll just you know clear it with. Uh... <laughs> you gonna clear it? <laughs> you not. might want to meditate and pray on that one, Brian. <laughs> clear it with the the big guy, or or I should say, uh, clear it with the mama upstairs first. But come on, here's the thing, though. I mean, when we read, uh, you talk about you being a little bit cynical. When we read these stories in the Bible, again, here here are people and the time of human consciousness where there was nothing that was separate from the belief in God. Like you know, there was no right. there was no sacred and secular. It was it was all oh, yeah. it was all about God and religious observance. So anything that happened in their life, the belief was that God's in some way connected to this. Um, so, so True. you know, and in an overt way, not just in a, like a metaphysical or mystical way, in an overt way, God was making this happen. So, right. so if that's the consciousness from which you are approaching things, then yeah, I think after the fact, and you write these stories down, you've got to, I, I believe you've got to make it in such a way that, that, that divine 
um, interpretation or that that divine belief at the time is a lot more evident. So we do have God apparent. Like when you think about it logically, who's writing this story? Who's witnessing this right. event? Who's taking of notes of these three people that showed up, you know, to do that? Sure. Maybe it was three random people who happened to show up. And then a couple months later, she happened to get pregnant because they stopped trying to have a baby and they just gave up on the whole thing. And they were like, oh, wait, that happened after those three people showed up. It must have been God and some angels. Well, and of course, we have to remember that these texts, you know, are purportedly written by Moses, which, you know, now we know, that. you know, even that is a stretch. And maybe there's some oral tradition and so forth. But Moses was a lot later than Abraham. I mean, Abraham. They weren't yeah. writing this stuff down. So this was oral tradition for a long time. Uh, and, and so then I'll posit one last little um, wrinkle. So the first verse says, The Lord appeared to Abraham by the, these trees as he sat at the entrance of his tent. And then the next verse says, He looked up and saw three men standing near him. It's possible that we have a couple of strands of traditions from different uh, author sources that are compressed together in this same chapter, because we know that multiple authors contributed to the Torah and it, much of it was sort of seamlessly pieced together. And you can see people have done a lot of work to penetrate who, uh, which authorship community was sort of behind this text. And so there's a lot of layers to right. figuring this stuff out. And honestly, if it's God, why does he have to stand in the shade? Like it's God. You think God is like, oh, the sun's hot? Come on. Oh. Mm. You know. Just... Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's hot down here. This could be surprising. <laughs> I just think of the Matrix when he's like, this world stinks. <laughs> right? yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. So we are at our hour. Uh, any final words of wisdom? When God opened his mouth to eat the bread, was there like rays of light coming out? Like, you know what I'm saying? Just stop. Let Brian have the final word. <laughs> Just asked if there was any final word. He asked. I'm I did ask. I did ask, but I have one. Uh, and since we were talking again. about, <laughs> since we were talking about communication and clarity of communication, my final word is: don't use a big word when a singularly unloquacious and diminutive linguistic expression will satisfactorily accomplish the contemporary necessity. Perennial wisdom. <laughs> well said. <laughs> so keep it keep it brief and keep it understandable. Works for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, in you all, honest, all show for that, weren't you? In all honesty, <laughs> I saw that on a meme right before the show, and I'm like, I'm using oh, that for my final word. Yeah, we didn't think you just spurted that out <laughs> all for the moment. <laughs> he tried to pull it off. No one thinks he did. <laughs> All right, so we're not done yet. Oh, we're not. Oh. We were knucklehead. Thanks we for tuning in, friends. To Pup Theology Live, you can connect and spread the word on social media. You can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. If you want to find a Pup Theology conversation like this, stop looking at the script like half an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, we we gathered that. So if. <laughs> If you would like to find a conversation like this where you don't get cut off mid-sentence, you can find that at pubtheology.com slash directory. Or if there is not one, you can find resources to start your own. And thank you again to our sponsors, Craft Beer Cellar, who you'll find at craftbeerseller.com. That's C-E-L-L-A-R. And Wink Wine Club, that's Wink with a C, at trywink.com slash pt live and don't forget to leave us a voicemail we want to hear from you call us at 980 pt live zero or 980-785-4830 and until next time friends drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing now can i play the music yes hit it <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I thought you were just teasing me and like giving us a little, you know, like, hey, Brian, wrap this up here. The music is coming. No. And then you kept going. <laughs> <laughs>
I thought it was a we super done. fun ending. I thought we were oh like, my god. You said final word. I thought we were Logan, like, we do the same thing every week. <laughs> Why do you have to be looking at the script at the end to know that Brian speaks before we're done? Because it's been a week. <laughs> it's been a big week. Listen, we were talking about, you know, God and Sarah and babies. Oh my God. It's been a week. You think I'm remembering this stuff from week to week? Come on. No, it's down to the it, rest of my Dude, it's here. muscle it's memory at much. this point. Right, See ya. See, that's why that's why I don't remember when to play the music. Because I'm like, <laughs> done. Yeah. What's I'm happening? We're done. <laughs> All right, dudes. Have a good night. It's been tons of fun. That's always I'll fun. see you next week. Later. Sleep tight.